Hi, and welcome to EC Honestly. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before I begin, I would just like to acknowledge that I am speaking to you from the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Kwikwitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So it's been yet again a very long time since I've launched a brand new episode, um, but what better way to kind of get back into advocating for the sector of early childhood edu education um, and for early childhood educators everywhere than by having a very special guest. Um, and this episode has been probably a couple months now in the making, and we're finally able to get it going. Um, so joining me today is none other than Katrina Chen, who is the Minister of State of Childcare here in British Columbia. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a great honor to be able to join this conversation, to learn from you, and also to connect and share with uh, many uh, uh, incredible professionals who are supporting our families and children across the province. Thank you so much for your work. Well, thank you so much um, for those kind words. And again, for coming on this podcast. Um, I briefly said this to you, but I cannot express how very honored I feel speaking with you, um, especially now after the commitments from the, both the provincial and the federal governments uh, towards quality, affordable childcare. I think this is something that I've said a couple of times in a few episodes that this has been 30 plus years in the making. Um, and to finally see that it's, you know, we're slowly gravitating towards there. It's just, it's not only fundamental, but it's also, I, I think it's safe to say almost like a bit of a dream come true for so many people, especially for, you know, the OG advocates um, who've been advocating for this, you know, for this sector uh, far longer than, you know, some of us have. And I mean, there was a little bit of a scare there, you know, during the you know, during the election time, <laughs> but I think we're good. We're good. It's nice to know that we're slowly still getting there. Totally. I feel really excited about this work as well. And even though um, I've really been just focused on this field, unlike many of you and your listeners who have spent years advocating for this sector, you know, I came to this job as a mother who struggled with childcare and I continue to struggle with childcare. Um, I bring that experience in, but um, really since 2017, when I'm, I've been diving into this work and figuring out how do we fix the sector and learning from professionals like you all, uh, it has been uh, quite a, a bit of change, actually. Uh, just even a conversation people are having around childcare. I remember traveling around the, the province, knocking on doors, talking to municipalities, communities about childcare. And at the time, I, I think people were still asking us, why are you putting childcare as a top priority? But I think that conversation has changed significantly just in about the past four years that now everyone is talking about childcare, right? Not just the sector, not just families and parents who face childcare challenges, but you know, the business community, all those levels of government are talking about how critical childcare is uh, for our families, our children and for our economy, especially through this pandemic. We've seen how early childhood educators are the workforce behind the workforce, how critical this workforce is. And that really pushes us. And I think I'm, I'm so grateful uh, to have had the opportunity to learn from this very diverse sector, 
putting all the suggestions, feedback and ideas together to be able to build our childcare BC plan. And like you said, the, the past summer was exciting to work with the federal government on the national childcare plan and BC was the first one to sign up on that plan. And, and we're now working on the implementation of the plan. Uh, changes are always hard, but this is really positive changes that we're seeing and we need to do more and we need to engage with the sector to make sure we get it right. Absolutely. No, I don't think you could have put it better. And I, I, like you said, too, I want to come back to what you said. I think especially after this pandemic, it really opened so many people's eyes as to how, I mean, childcare is not, I mean, it's far from the, you know, idea of being the glorified babysitter. That's absolutely not what it is. Um, but then, like you said, when businesses start suffering and the, when the economies kind of start suffering, then everybody starts to pay attention. It kind of goes back to the idea of, you know, money talks, right? You know, if once we kind of start seeing that's going in the decline because, you know, empl employers are unable to get their employees in, then it's like, oh my goodness, okay, maybe this is um, an issue that we should all actually be paying attention to. Totally. It's long overdue. Um, but I think we're um, really um, building that momentum. Uh, there's a lot of hope uh, down the road. Of course, like I mentioned, changes are always hard and uneasy, but at least uh, we're making the progress on making sure uh, we support this workforce, early childhood educators get the support they need. Uh, we're on this journey to do more and supporting providers, supporting families, and also children with diverse needs. Um, just think about that investment. You know, as a mom, I see how my son benefited from early learning opportunities. And I'm sure all the early childhood educators can have so much to share about how early learning is so critical, especially for children uh, who require extra support. So um, this work uh, has been exciting, it's challenging, but I think we're getting there working hand in hand and we have an amazing sector here in BC. I again cannot just uh, continue to thank, uh, share my appreciation because I've learned so much just in the past four years about how um, early childhood educators like yourself um, have so contributed to the well-being of our community. Thank you so much. Um, so let's, I say, let's just dive deep into this um, interview. So the way that this started was that I actually reached out to um, our followers and our listeners and, you know, basically asked like, would this be an episode that you'd be interested in? And then of course, that's kind of how we got connected was, was through Instagram, essentially. Um, and so then based on that, I reached out again to the community and I said, okay, you know, this is, a, this is going to happen. And so, you know, send me your questions, send me what you want to know. So everything that I will be sort of asking you is coming directly from the ECE community. So why don't we just yeah, so let's dive right in then. Um, okay, so the first question I have is, says, how will this new legislation and joining of early learning in the Ministry of Education affect er current early childhood educators? So I think to provide a little bit of background that we introduced two legislation in the legislature. Uh, one uh, has already passed third reading. I'm so excited about that. That's the Early Learning and Child Care Act. And we also have an Early Childhood Educators Act that is just going through uh, the process right now that those two legislation is historical. It's really building on the work that we've done since 2017 and 18. And I remember when I started this work, um, you know, there was no system at all. Childcare is very 
you know, very diverse. Um, there's so many different ways of running a childcare, operating a childcare, early childhood educators are being paid and compensated in, in so many different ways. Um, very little data as well. Um, and really very little investment. And I, I was just thinking, you know, again, as a parent, I'm like, how can the government never paid attention to childcare? You know, parents have been struggling, children have been struggling, early childhood educator has been struggling. And if you really look at the workforce, 97% of early childhood educators are women. It is also a gender equity issue as mothers mm -hmm. and women has been, you know, historically carrying the responsibility of childcare. And, and we need to think about how that uh, really means um, what that means to our community and how do we do this work through childcare to build a more equitable society for all. So since 2018 budget, we've, uh, the provincial government took the lead to invest significantly in childcare for the first time in BC's history. Uh, now we've uh, gone over about $2.3 billion of investment. And again, we talked about the Canada-wide agreement as well. That's gonna bring another uh, more than $3 billion on this plan which will focus on affordable, uh, quality, inclusive early learning, learning and care services that we, our goal is to deliver it to all British Columbian families who needs it or wants it. So to do this work, we've wrote out, uh, I can, I've lost count of how many initiatives that we've wrote out. It started with about three dozens of initiatives um, to lower the childcare fees, accelerated creation of spaces, supporting early childhood educators through uh, recruitment and retention strategies, uh, including the wage enhancement, for example. But along this journey, we're thinking that when we looked into childcare's history, there were, for example, some investments that were done in the 90s. There were a goal to bring in $14 a day childcare, $7 a day school age care. There were some wage enhancement that was provided, you know, over 20 years ago, but then when government changes, uh, unfortunately, political decisions does make an impact on the sector and on you know, what we see in our community. So a lot of the efforts were taken away. So this the legislation that we introduced is really to build uh, the foundation even stronger, to make sure that we enshrine the work that we do into legislation, uh, to make a commitment on affordable, high quality, inclusive early learning and care, including working with indigenous communities. So. The legislation will help to support the work we do, pave the journey, make sure, for example, government every year has to report on the progress on childcare. We're always going to put childcare as a top priority. And I'm quite excited also about the Early uh, Childhood Educators Act, because this is the first time we're pulling, uh, you know, regulations and laws uh, from different acts into one standalone legislation to recognize the work of early childhood educators. And it's pretty similar to other occupations as well, right? We need to make sure there's a focus on this sector. It is critical to the well-being of our society, and we can continue to build on those two legislation to support childcare and to support the workforce. Love it, awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, so the next question that I have, I guess kind of ties into that. So it says here, how do we ensure then that childcare doesn't become institutionalized into the move of the Ministry of Education? That is a really good question. And I know that's something that I hear from early childhood educators a lot. Um, so that's why it's so important since the beginning of our childcare plan, we've made it so clear that you know, BC has never uh, done a universal inclusive childcare early learning care system before. This is the first time we're doing it. So we need to work hand in hand with the very diverse sector 
um, making sure that everybody's voice is heard. Um, and we know that uh, moving into education is good, uh, especially when we look at other jurisdictions that always connect early learning and childcare to education because we focus on um, the, uh, the child, uh, regardless of their age, right, from zero to 18. Uh, it's important to assure the sector <laughs> that the current programs you're counting on, whether it's, you know, wage enhancement, affordable childcare benefit, fee reduction, support for providers and families will remain in place. But this move uh, and this change and transformation is really to connect the services better, to build on the work that we do and do more. So we'll continue with the support. Um, we'll make sure that uh, we connect the services um, and also looking for opportunities to collaborate together. So for example, currently a lot of local childcare providers, um, family providers or community-based programs are already working with school district, are collaborating, supporting the same families and children together. How do we expand those opportunities? And how can we build, for example, more um, public, uh, you know, assets on school grounds, right? When we build childcare, it should be a long-term community assets. And there were so many missed opportunities over the years. So um, this move will only ensure that we're doing more, supporting the sector more, expanding the services. Parents will see more affordable childcare. There will be more spaces. And at the same time, early childhood educators can get more resources. And we can do our best to integrate childcare to the broader learning environment again, as supporting a child from zero to 18. There's no, um, you know, I just always wonder again as a parent, why we put so much focus on K to 12 education, but then children under five are not getting the same support from government resources and support. So we wanna make sure that connects together and also supporting children, school age children, um, as many families are struggling to be able to pick up their kids at three o'clock after school, right? Um, that support for before and after school care uh, is important and also for children with diverse needs. Excellent, thank you for clarifying. I think that's a really good point to make um, and spoken about this, because if I'm not mistaken, um, Ontario, their ECE sector is under the Ministry of Education. Um, but yet, like, uh, like you said, BC is still under the Ministry of Child and Family Development. Um, and one of the things that we always kind of noticed was that under being under that ministry, very much times the way that the ECE sector has been sort of looked at is more of like a social service, um, which it very much can be in certain cases. Um, and I want to say even in some communities, uh, that's very much, you know, what we do, not also bringing into the fact that there is still um, learning that is very much involved with it. And I mean, care and learning go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Totally. And actually in BC, our childcare system um, is very uh, broken into different ministries when you look at it. So we have the Ministry of Children and Family Development, which childcare is currently mostly under, and that's where my position is under. Um, that has most of the childcare programs, but then licensing is under the Ministry of Health. And then the training of EC is under Ministry of Advanced Education. Um, yes. <laughs> and education has the early learning framework and they have that early learning piece. So that's another thing. When I started this work, I was like, how can nobody ever thought about how broken childcare is being shared among all these different ministries? So sometimes even when I need information, let's say on a licensing issue, I have to go to the Ministry of um, Health and then they have to go to their local health authority to obtain the information. And just that process doesn't make sense to me. Childcare should be 
uh, focused. Uh, the government should be able to have a focus on childcare, whether it's the training of ECs, the services for families, the funding to support parents, the spaces that are being built. Um, there should be a focus on childcare as a whole. And I think moving that to education and pulling those pieces together in the coming years is critical to make sure that again, childcare will stay as a top priority for the provincial government uh, down the road. And it should have been a priority for a long, long time. Uh, we're a little late, but not too late. I hope uh, future families and generations will see this benefit of pulling this work together and building a new system. Definitely, especially kind of after having gone through, you know, the height of COVID and seeing how that affected everybody across the board. Um, I would hope that that sort of long lasting effect kind of stays in the sense of understanding the importance of childcare. Totally. Um, so kind of bouncing on that, because um, I think one of the concerns amongst the community is very much that they don't feel that ECEs themselves are being included in the conversations around the move to the Ministry of Education. So is there a plan um, around that? And I, the other question I think there was as well was, is there a plan around um, for children who require extra support or um, you know extra wait time? Um, right now, kind of what we're seeing and has been happening for a very long time is that they're sort of being absorbed into regular ratios in many centers, which means that a lot of the times there's not even more than one full ECE, sometimes just due to staffing shortages. And from my understanding, staffing shortages have kind of gotten a little bit worse since the pandemic. Um, and so I think the concern for this particular listener was that, I mean, we can raise wages all we want, but if educators are continuously reaching burnout, then there's no amount of hourly wage or I guess no monetary value that's going to fix that. And therefore children are also the ones who are going to, you know, receive the, the bad end of the stick for lack of better words. Totally. Um, so first of all, um, it is so important that we support the workforce when we're building this new social program. Uh, we know we cannot build a new social program to support families and children without early childhood educators. So since budget 2018, we've rolled out over a dozen strategies um, and there's more strategies that are being rolled out as well over the years to support early childhood educators, including the wage enhancement program, um, the bursary program, the and seats expansion to make sure that there's more students are being trained for early childhood education to come into the workforce. And those programs have been really popular, especially the bursary program that pretty much covers um, all the tuition fees or the vast majority of the amount of the tuition fees that early childhood educator students are um, the program's cost, uh, that's pretty much almost covered. Um, so those programs have been popular to support more and more early childhood educators coming into the field. But we know existing early childhood educators are really facing burnout and shortage of um, uh, support and also enough people working in this sector. So we have strategies such as the workforce support program, funding to support pro professional development opportunities, the pedagogies program, which is also um, uh, a program to help to support and peer mentoring and support early childhood educators, especially those who tend to uh, work in silos. 
And in terms of engagement, uh, we actually will be doing a lot of engagement in the coming weeks. <laughs> so I'll be more than happy to share that information. Uh, we'll share it with uh, our contact list and all the early childhood educators and also through organizations like Early Childhood Educators BC on social media as well to make sure uh, we welcome all the feedback from early childhood educators. And, and I do want to emphasize that um, the whole Child Care BC plan, even though when I first started the work, I think it was uh, September, you know, summer of 2017, we only had a few months to put together a child care BC plan because we know the sector has been waiting for a long time, families have been waiting for a long time. But that being said, the whole plan was really based on the inputs that we've gathered uh, from early childhood educators. So we would work with partners like uh, child care resource referral centers, local providers. Um, a lot of uh, early childhood educators also email us um, and let us know their thoughts and feedback. And I personally uh, is quite committed to read through as many correspondence as possible just to make sure that I have those stories in the back of my mind when we're doing the policy work with our team. And all the stories are being collected and shared with the appropriate departments to make sure when we are building our plan, your input is part of our plan. The stories that we're hearing and the challenges that we're hearing will be addressed through our plan. Um, some of the uh, solutions may take a bit longer to, um, to be implemented, but some can be done as soon as possible. So the wage enhancement, for example, is a really good program that we know mm -hmm. that early childhood educators want and we continue to build on that. And um, next year, for example, you'll be $4 an hour wage enhancement. Um, when I started this work, uh, the median wage was about $17, $18. And some of early childhood educators were even being paid minimum wage at the time. But because of the wage enhancement program and also because the increase to minimum wage, uh, next year we're expecting that the median wage will become about $25 an hour. But that's not it. We have made a commitment to build a wage grid <laughs> to continue to make sure there's a wage is more predictable for early childhood educators. There's a minimum standard and we're working really closely uh, with our partners to again welcome your input and let us know what challenges you're seeing. So we'll share those engagement opportunities uh, with the sector and please do contact us and please share your story with us as we continue to learn from you to build this program. Uh, very quickly uh, on the supported child development side that has been actually quite a focus uh, during the past year and a half and well it has always been a focus for us to make sure for example, through our training program, how do we provide more training to um, support early childhood educators to provide uh, support for children with diverse needs. But during the past year and a half, we've really bent up that conversation to make sure we look at the long term. How do we make sure inclusion is done across the board, right? Every child uh, care center, every uh, all the services that we're providing should have uh, some lens and some services and resources on inclusion to support diverse needs. So we have increased funding for supported child development programs throughout the years. Um, with the federal government agreement, uh, inclusion is also a big part of it that there will be funding and support from the federal government. And at the same time, we're also working closely with indigenous communities to make sure there's more indigenous led childcare. Right. The word inclusion is very broad. It's children with diverse needs and also culturally uh, inclusive child care, regardless of a child's social economic background. So there's a lot of work that's being done in this area. And actually, uh, inclusion is also a big part in the legislation that just passed third reading to make sure the government continues to build on the work that we're doing. So any feedback from the sector is definitely very welcome. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and I like 
that uh, the emphasis on the feedback from the, from the sector, because I think so many times um, that's very important, right? Um, and I mean, a lot of, especially, you know, workers who maybe have gone through, um, you know, generations of not feeling like they're being listened to, finally, you know, hearing, finally needing to hear, hey, you know, we're here listening, come tell me what you need, or come tell me where the concerns are. Totally. And our engagement process, that's going to be rolled out in the coming weeks, um, will be collected and you'll see those uh, feedback uh, being shared and then we'll be incorporating them into our coming year's plans. Excellent. Um, so again, kind of going off on that, uh, the other question that I have here is how will subsidy be affected by the 2023 move to the education sector? Um as many times I think I've said this on a few of the Instagram stories is subsidies very um, can be very diverse for lack of better words, depending on, of course, uh, socioeconomic status. Um, and even in what kind of childcare it is that you are seeking, um, you know, as we know, there are not enough childcare spaces for all children, uh, licensed childcare spaces, I should clarify. So, and then depending on what kind of, uh, child care you're able to get for your child, whether it's licensed, um, family licensed, uh, registered license not required, or license not required, or at home, if I'm not mistaken, um, is another one. What you will and will not receive in terms of subsidy is very diverse, more being allocated to if you're able to take your child to a licensed child care program, and less if you have your child in an LNR. So I guess the concern for this question is, if we are yet at the $10 a day universal childcare plan, how is that gonna be affected if the move is happening into the education sector? So it is very important to reassure everyone as well that uh, all programs will stay the same. So the move to education is to invest more, to do more, to collaborate on the services more, to provide more resources, to connect uh, children from zero to 18 and the services should be connected and well through spelled out um, throughout a child's um, journey from zero to 18. But all programs will stay the same. The funding, uh, either affordable childcare benefit, the fee reduction program, uh, the universal childcare prototype site, $10 a day site that are currently being expended, um, they will stay the same in the meantime. And as we continue to look for what's the better way to fund inclusive universal childcare. So we will uh, be looking at a better funding model, but that being said, the supports uh, that families and providers are receiving at this moment uh, should stay the same if not being increased. <laughs> it is important to reassure everybody that, um, you know, since we need a universal childcare program, there's, uh, it doesn't make sense for us to pull any supports away. We want stability for the sector. We want stability for families. We need to make sure um, families who are currently counting on those important funding to support affordable childcare has to remain the same. And I cannot tell you how it's interesting. I've met so many early childhood educators who are also um, parents themselves who have shared with me how one of the reasons that they're able to stay in the workforce is because they also got affordable childcare. You probably are not, um, you know, the story is very familiar that early childhood educators could not pay for their own childcare. And that is the Absolutely. story. <laughs> I've heard, I remember in 2017, and, and one thing I think the positive results that we've had is that 
because we've expanded our affordability measure, uh, you know, fee reduction is not income tested. Affordable childcare benefit has expanded significantly to middle-income families that more early childhood educators can stay in the field because of affordable childcare benefits. So we definitely want to make sure there's stability for that. And just to kind of address your question around, you know, there's just the sector is so diverse. And some people have asked me, you wrote out so many programs and it's just so hard to keep track. And, and because we need to do everything as soon as possible, right? We know we have to fund spaces right away because it could take, you know, a year or two or more. Some spaces take three to four years to be built. So you need to fund them right away to get that going for the coming years. You need to support early childhood educators right away through wage enhancement as we continue to look for a better system, a wage grid and a more uh, cost board approach to continue to support wages and compensation and benefits for early childhood educators. But at the same time, you need to lower parent fees as soon as possible for families who are already struggling. So those work has to go at the same time as we continue to build this new social program. Excellent, thank you for clarifying that. Um, and yes, definitely touching on the story of ECEs themselves not being able to afford what it is that we do. Um, I know many friends of mine who, you know, after having their first, second child have just said, okay, I guess I'm done. <laughs> like, that's it. Totally. Um, all right. So kind of going on, you were talking about uh, the opening of new spaces. And it's, it's funny because like every now and then when you drive around, regardless of where you are, you'll see those big signs that say like opening new spaces um, with the X amount of spaces that are going to be open in that you know new center that's being built. Um, so one of the questions that I've got here, it says, how does the government plan on supporting current ECEs through the opening of the new childcare spaces? And most importantly, um, again, because the burnout amongst ECEs has been at an all-time high since the start of COVID, um, are there, again, more plans and help to avoid the rise and hopefully prevent any more burnout? Totally. I think I kind of touched that a little bit on, um, you know, for example, yeah. our wage enhancement program that we definitely hope to continue to build on and look for a better way of funding wages. But we also have other strategies to make sure that we support early childhood educators, for example, through our pedagogies program that uh, is kind of a mentoring network program to support a lot of early childhood educators who may be working alone. And, and that's um, very usual in the childcare sector, especially for family or in-home OTH childcare providers. Uh, at the same time, we need to make sure we continue to support the work um, that local child care resource referral centers do to support child care uh, providers and ECs across our communities. And at the same time, providing training bursary programs to make sure there are more and more people who are you know, entering the workforce. So we are really looking at creative ways of how do we encourage more people joining early childhood education. You know, we're, we're gonna bump up the wage and the support um, in the meantime, at the same time, training the next generation of workers, including through our bursary program support or looking at dual credits program uh, or finding incentives for students to be able to come into the sector. So uh, more is definitely gonna be done. And again, through our engagement process, we're more than welcome. Uh, we would love to hear ideas from the sector um, share with us your challenges. Uh, I know we've made a, a lot of progress uh, for the past three, uh, three, four years, but lots more to do um, because this is a sector 
that unfortunately has been neglected for far too many years. And we only started this work in 2018. We're on the right path uh, and we will do more uh, hand in hand with this sector together. Excellent, thank you. Um, so and then kind of talking about how it is that we're going to get new students and I guess with the incentives of, you know, with the higher wages, um, hopefully that means also less educators leaving the field, which will therefore hopefully mean um, less burnout. The other question that we that one of my one of the uh, listeners had submitted to was if there may or may not be plans for a student loan forgiveness program. And then the reasoning behind this is because many ECEs go into the sector um, because they value and understand the importance of the early years and how critical it is for children to be in quality environments when where they will be nurtured, cared for, and of course feel valued, all while having the natural curiosities and individual learning needs met quite a workload. <laughs> um, but like you mentioned, um, touched on, you know, the pay can be minimal at best, like you were saying, some educators only being paid the, uh, which we'll call it like minimum wage. Um, and for the amount of education that we receive, there's, you know, there's not remotely reflected based on the amount of work we do. The monetary value does not reflect what it is that we output, right? The input is not giving the output. So that means that so many times, it's not uncommon that educators live paycheck to paycheck and allocate so much of their salary towards bills and debt. Um, you know, sometimes a lot of that being student loan. Totally. We definitely welcome all the thoughts and ideas and feedback uh, and finding creative ways to address uh, the challenges of uh, recruiting more early childhood educators and retaining more early childhood educators. So uh, from my understanding, uh, the bursary program currently could cover for pretty much the whole cost of the program. Um, and if not all, the, the cost of the program, if students are eligible for the bursary, could be very minimal. So we're monitoring that progress and looking at, you know, cost of um, uh, tuition fees to see if the bursary program is providing that support. And we've worked with Early Childhood Educators BC, that's the organization that funds and supports the implementation of the bursary program to see if we need to continue to expand eligibility or should we put a focus on, you know, uh, educators who are pursuing um, more uh, education and training on inclusion, um, infant toddler, which is a high need. So those are all being monitored at the same time. But if there's way, you know, more ideas to in terms of how we can support students, we're more than happy to. But my understanding is that actually the bursary program, which I believe we've already funded more than uh, 9,400 bursaries throughout uh, since 2018, has been quite awesome. successful in terms of how students can actually get low cost or no cost education. Um, but we need to continue to build on it. Um, and that is why we actually have been looking at other occupations that's pretty comparable, right? Serving young children, um, in, for example, education assistants or teachers, looking at how much they are being paid and how much we need to do as we work on the um, uh, wage grid program to see how can we continue to support the sector and make sure their wage is predictable, stable, and supported by the government. And that is why I think um, a lot of the things that we talked about today, including the legislation, is critical, right? We continue to put, put a focus on early childhood education. So whoever is the provincial government, uh, whoever is doing this job, if not me <laughs> in the coming years, will continue to put a focus and a priority on childcare. And I'm, I'm pretty thankful, uh, to be honest, as a mother who struggled with childcare, to be able to work with um, you know, Premier John Horgan and our government on putting childcare as a priority. But, but really, I think any government who comes in and do this job has to put a focus on childcare, has to put a focus on this workforce 
that has not get that support and, and attention for far too long and has been doing this critical work to support the early years of our young children and families and mothers and parents who are unable to return to work because of their childcare struggles. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think now, like I think, I think we said this before, but it's nice now that it's not, I mean, childcare, I don't think becomes an issue for you until you need it. Unless you need it, you're just very unaware of how important it is. And I mean, I've had friends and I've had now, you know, as a, you know, quote, business owner, I don't like saying that word, but at this point, that's kind of what it is. Um, you know, getting, you know, newly pregnant women calling you and being like, okay, I heard that it's a, it's essentially a hunger games. <laughs> like I need to put my, I need to put my name down, um, you know, who haven't even given birth. So, but it's nice in a way to know that at least now there is more acknowledgement and there is a wider audience who understands how critical this sector actually is and how critical it is that we prioritize this sector because it's not just about, you know, kids being somewhere for the day and then just leaving them there. There's so much more that goes into it. Totally. And I think I really have seen this conversation changed since 2017 and 18, right? Uh, like I said, I was knocking on doors, trying to get people to pay attention to childcare and sharing how it is good for our economy. During the pandemic, I am happy to share, I had so many business communities, boards of trades, local municipalities, um, school districts knocking on our door and saying, what can we do more <laughs> to support childcare? So it is an exciting time. I think people are really seeing the value of early childhood education, uh, the value of investing in childcare throughout this pandemic. And we need to continue to build on this momentum. Um, this is not just uh, about uh, parent struggles. This is about how can we create a more equitable society for our generations to come? How can we support our economic recovery as parents and families need to return to work and contribute to our local economy? And how can we support our children with diverse needs in their early years? It will help to uh, save us money down the road if you support those children in their early years to build a strong foundation, to help them to transition into K-12. And I really see that uh, from my son through his early years of how that supported him as he getting to kindergarten. And now he's grade two. I utilize before and after school care, which is so critical to provide him the opportunity to connect with more uh, other students from you know, his school community to learn from each other. Childcare is so critical. It, it is critical to uh, create an equitable society that we want for our future. And I'm so glad that federal government is also paying attention to this. So we now pretty much have everybody on board to focus on childcare. And uh, we have a big plan ahead of us. Uh, we're going to have to continue to invest uh, in childcare. And we cannot do this without the hard work of early childhood educators. Absolutely. And put so eloquently, may I say. <laughs> Um, and so the last question is actually coming from me. Um, and it has to do with the $10 a day plan or the universal um, childcare plan. So I've mentioned this to my listeners before, but I am currently uh, in the process of opening my own family childcare. And it's been amazing. It's been a fantastic uh, opportunity and one that I'm super thankful for that I'm able to open my own, um, again, quote, business. I don't like calling it that, um, but, you know, center for, uh, you know, to serve the needs of my community. 
But the question that a lot of that many of us have had who are opening um, our own centers is will like people like us, you know, family child care is also be included in the $10 day or the universal child care plan. Um, a lot of the times what we're seeing is a lot of the plans that are being put out, you know, mention big group child cares, and that's fantastic. But there's also a small sector of us early childhood educators who are doing our own thing, you know, be it from home or a small space or opening something somewhere else. Um, are we also going to be included in making sure that we are also part of the universal child care plan and that we're able to support those universal needs for our families and our communities? Totally and absolutely. We definitely need uh, providers, uh, diverse providers with different expertise and working in different communities, uh, large or small, uh, everyone to be coming into the new system. We need to make sure that we can serve the diverse needs of families. And actually, if you look at our child care plan that's being rolled out since 2018, we've provided more support for especially family providers, including the startup grants to encourage uh, licensed, not required providers or unlicensed providers to become licensed providers. So we give a startup funding. I hope you utilize that as well. To I sure did. <laughs> and I actually recommended, I recommended a friend to it. And she was like, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> that is great. And, and so that startup program has been so uh, popular, especially I noticed that it's actually served a lot of rural remote communities as well. When, you know, there some communities just have no ability to be able to find a huge, large space and families are scattered in different parts of town. So family providers are actually the backbone of their childcare communities there. So through my travel across the province, I've learned so much about how critical family and in-home age care providers are so crucial to the sector. So that is why we started uh, the startup funding to encourage more providers to become licensed so they can utilize our other funding, including the operating fund, the wage enhancement, and fee reduction to support a provider and also families they serve. Uh, the funding to maintain spaces is the same. So that's another program that we've expended to family providers. So you can apply for funding to upgrade your facility to make sure it meets the licensing requirement to enhance the health and safety of your program. And uh, if you have noticed that the uh, most recent uh, call for applications for the $10 a day site uh, has put a big focus on family providers because we know the value of uh, family providers to the future of our childcare system. We want to make sure they continue to have the support uh, from the government, especially when family providers tend to work in silos. Um, they really need that support. And, and that's why part of some of our other workforce support has put a focus on family providers as well, including the pedagogies program to make sure we build a network of support among the sector that early childhood educators are connecting with one another. So there's definitely more work to do, but I actually do love want to take this opportunity to thank all early childhood educators and advocates of the $10 a day plan, for example, who have been advocating for investment into the sector for years and years. And I can tell you, this is one of the program that really shows how advocacy works. Early childhood educators and professionals have been calling for a universal inclusive childcare plan for years. And this is finally happening thanks to everybody's efforts putting this together. So uh, when we are building our future plan, uh, I want to again assure the sector, I know there's so many changes and I've 
get a lot of questions and I understand there's definitely uh, some anxiety about those changes, but our commitment has always been since day one that we are providing more services. We're supporting families, early childhood educators and provider with more resources, more funding, not less. And that has been um, the case along the way and we'll continue to do that. Amazing. And I think that's a great way to kind of, um, you know, conclude this interview uh, with just ending on that positive note and understanding that, you know, the, the um, oh my goodness, I think I've just lost my words. Basically just giving that uh, clarification for lack of better words that, you know, we are being listened to. It's happening. And I mean, I think a lot of the times the frustrations and I'm a very impatient person. This is why I get along with two-year-olds because I understand <laughs> where their emotions come from in terms of impatience um, is that, we can feel it so close yet we're not there yet but we want to be there but it's just knowing that we're slowly getting there is just like we want it now because we've been wanting it for so long as a parent i cannot tell you how i really hoped that universal child care existed when my son was born and now i am a single parent and i continue to face that struggle and you know i i'm an immigrant without family here and Every single day, I, I, I can tell you, childcare is not just my work, childcare is my personal life. And I cannot wait for uh, an inclusive universal childcare program to be available for all families with diverse needs. And I know we're all eager, but we're getting there. Uh, there's been progress that's made during the past four years and we're gonna continue to make that progress. Amazing, thank you so much. Um... I just wanted to end by saying, first of all, again, thanking you so much for agreeing to do this interview, um, for answering the questions of the community and for being um, open with us about everything that's happening. I think that's uh, a breath of fresh air um, and something that I don't think a lot of us have seen in a very long time, um, You know, especially the older generations of ECEs uh, who have been advocating for you know, God knows how long um, so it's nice to see that we're finally able to make some progress. We're getting, you know, some answers and we are slowly moving towards what has been needed for, you know, years and years. Thank you so much, Kayla. It's uh, being an honor uh, learning from you. And thank you so much for all the incredible work and important work you do. And good luck on your uh, child care center. <laughs> I look forward to visiting it or meeting you in person. <laughs> I would love that. I think we should do a big, uh, big ribbon cutting and we'll have, well, you'll be my guest, my guest of honor. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone for supporting our journey together. I look forward to working with everyone to really make the social program happen for PC families. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening in on this week's episode of EC Honestly. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at echonestly at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at echonestly.com.